Well, good morning. Do you ever feel like you've just kind of missed the plot? Like uh, everybody else seems to uh, understand what's going on and, 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 and somehow or other you don't. It happened to me a little while ago. Everyone was talking about the uh, uh, Avengers Endgame movie and I sat down to watch it and I spent like half of the movie like, I don't get it. What's, what's going on? Sometimes in life we can uh, uh, feel that way where, where um, everything seems to be making sense to us. And uh, as, as we're moving through this particular season, everything is just clicking along. And all of a sudden, something comes up. And then we realize, huh, I don't understand this. What's going on? Uh, things aren't working out the way that I expected that they would. Things are going in a different direction. I think that that's probably how the disciples felt. They had been following Jesus for about three and a half years. They had been uh, learning from him. He had been teaching them. They had been ministering alongside him. Uh, They believed that he was the one who was promised to come from God. And suddenly he announces to them something that he's actually been pointing them to all along. But he says, I am going back to the Father And where I go, you cannot come now. And I think that they probably thought to themselves, whoa, 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 wait a second. This this isn't how it's supposed to go. What's going on? What what does any of this what does any of this mean? The things that they had expected to take place suddenly were going to come to a crashing halt, and things were going to move in a whole different direction than what they expected. And if we're honest, there are some of us here this morning who could say that kind of describes our life. Some places where it felt like we knew exactly where it was going right up until the moment that we didn't. You know, as Jesus has a conversation with his disciples a matter of hours before he will be betrayed and crucified. He understands their confusion. And in the midst of that, in the midst of their expectations, their uncertainties, their loss of the plot, he speaks tenderly to them. And what he has to say to them are not only words of comfort. In fact, they are some of the most incredible promises that we find in all of the Bible. But here's the amazing thing. It wasn't just words of comfort and words of promise to these disciples 2,000 years ago. But today, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, the things that he had to say to them are also true for us. So if you have a Bible with you, I want to invite you to join me in John chapter 14 as we look at another one of these conversations with Jesus. John chapter 14. And you're not going to want uh, to miss following along so that you can see these amazing truths. And so Jesus has indeed uh, just told them that uh, uh, where he is going, they cannot follow right now, but they will follow afterwards. And John 14 starts with these words. He says, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my father's house are many rooms. 
If it were not so, I would have told you. I, I would, if it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself that where I am, you also may be. And you know the way to where I am going. You know, this uh, is often a passage which is read or used at a funeral and, and, and appropriately so because there is this idea of departing and there is this word of comfort and there's this, this, this promise. And what we see here is that Jesus is explaining to his disciples and to us that a place has been prepared for us. And so in the midst of their uncertainty, when they don't know what's going to happen, he comforts them by pointing them to what is yet to come for them, something that they are going to take a hold of. And he says, I want you to know, be comforted. A place has been prepared for you. Actually, uh, uh, some of us may be a little disappointed in this um, because, you see, he says here, in my father's house, there are many rooms. Some of us grew up singing some hymns or we grew up with this understanding that heaven was going to be kind of like we're going to have this enormous mansion on a hill and, and a rolling fields around us. And, and we're gonna, everyone's going to have this, this major. I'm sorry, you're going to live in an apartment building with the rest of us. Think about it. Why would we want to be in that big place over there when, when the Father says, you get to be right here. You get to have a room right here in the midst of things because you're my family. See, the place that is prepared for us is the very dwelling place of God. And we will be with him and he will be with us forever. And Jesus comforts them. He says, don't let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Put your faith in him. Put your faith in me. He says, I am going to prepare a place for you. Now, this is staggering to me. I mean, Pastor Rich mentioned about being up in Door County and the leaves right now and, 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 and the wonder of creation. Think about what God did in six days. Jesus has been preparing this place for you for the past 2,000 years. It's going to be amazing. Now, I'm not suggesting that he's there pounding nails. I'm not suggesting that, uh, uh, that, that Jesus is there in heaven and it's like, well, I really need to go back uh, because I promised I'd go back, but I still got some drywall to finish up. That's not what he's talking about here. But he is assuring them with this promise. That a place is prepared. That he is getting ready your eternal home to welcome you if you are one of his children. Now, some of us, we, we've got uh, just in a matter of weeks, we've got Thanksgiving coming up. Christmas is going to be right on the heels of that. And Here's the thing. Yeah, it's a time of celebration, but for some of us, there are going to be people who are not around the table. There are going to be people who have been there in the past, and they're not there anymore. And we can take comfort that for anyone who is in Christ, we have this incredible promise that when we step from this life, we enter into the presence of our Savior. 
He loves his people so deeply that he is preparing a place for you. And if you have a loved one who has already passed on, who knew Christ, we can rejoice that we will see them again in this place that has been prepared. Friends, this is not our home. As we journey through this life, there will be unexpected turns in the plot, but none of it is unexpected to God. There will be moments that seem overwhelming. There will be at times that are incredibly painful. There will be many things that we do not understand. But Jesus says, do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe in me, he says. I'm preparing a place for you. It's a hope, a certain hope that we have in him. But he goes on to explain that not only is he preparing a place, but that a way has been provided. Look with me, beginning in verse 5. Thomas says to him, "Uh, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? And Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my father also. For now, from now on, you do know him and you have seen him. This is a very well-known passage, but to be honest, it's one that uh, in our contemporary world, people struggle with a lot. But, but let me be clear. Jesus is unequivocal here in the fact that he is utterly unique. He really couldn't be any more clear in saying, I am the way and the life and the truth that no one comes to the Father but through me. This is serious. But what we often do, we often use this as kind of something that we hit people over the head with. And in our contemporary world, people are outraged by this. If there really is a God, and if he really is loving, how could he possibly only provide one way? But that's the wrong question. You see, we have to have an understanding of the utter holiness of God. We have to understand that this God who is utterly perfect, utterly glorious, utterly holy, that every single one of us has committed cosmic treason against him. We have rejected him. We have denied him. We have used his name in vain. We have lied. We have have gone our own way instead of his. And every single person on the face of the earth is deserving of eternal separation from him. The question is not how can a loving God possibly provide only one way. The question is how can a holy God provide even one way? And the way that is provided is through his son. Imagine for me a mo- uh, with me for a moment that uh, I were to uh, uh, make an appointment with the uh, commissioner of the NFL. It's football season, and uh, I, I would have set up an appointment. I managed to get that appointment, and I went to his office to meet with him. And, and he says, well, it's nice to meet you. Why exactly did you want to meet with me? And I said, well, I would like a Super Bowl ring, please. 
I think he would look at me a little strange. And uh, uh, I would say, yeah, well, you know, I, I just thought they seemed to be very nice, and I'd like a Super Bowl ring, please. And he'd say, well, you, you obviously don't understand how this works. You see, the only way that you get a Super Bowl ring is you've got to be connected to a, an NFL team. And more than that, you actually have to be connected to a good NFL team, one that wins a lot. And more than that, you actually have to be connected to the team that wins the whole tournament, the whole season, and then, and then the, the playoffs, and then the final. And that's the only way that you get a Super Bowl ring. How narrow-minded. What do you mean there's only one way to get... I mean, in other areas, this makes perfect sense to us. But for some reason... We think that it is inappropriate that the God of the universe, who has graciously given his one and only Son, that it would be somehow unloving that he would say he is the way and the truth and the life, that no one comes to the Father but through him. Folks, this is not bad news. This is not God having a bad day and being, and being unfair. No, this is glorious news. This is great news. This is the news that we get to share, not that. God is not being fair, but that God's love is so great that he has given his son that you might have life. And that you might know him. To people who are confused. To people who are struggling. To people who are hurting. And and, and they don't know what the future holds. Jesus comforts them by not only pointing them to the place that he's provided. He says, and I have made a way. There is nothing that you need to do in order to come to the Father because it's through me, because I am the way and the truth and the life, and that's good news. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough. And Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long, and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. And so so the the disciples are still struggling. I love the disciples. I I, I do because because most of the time they're like, Jesus, we don't get it. It makes me feel better. And, and, And... it's like, so, okay, so you're preparing a place that, 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 that's amazing. You're the way. That's amazing. So, so, so let us see the Father. And just like, no, you don't understand. The purpose for which I came is to make the Father known. You've seen me. You have seen the Father. And again, this is Jesus unequivocally pointing to the fact that he is himself fully God. The passage is going to go on to talk about the Holy Spirit. And so we see here the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, uh, a three in one, the members of the Trinity. And it is through Christ himself that we know who God is. 
That's why you can't come any other way. You can't say, well, I believe in God and, and, and reject Jesus. Because the Father is in the Son and the Son is in the Father. But it's not just a word of comfort where he reminds them and promises them that a place is prepared and a way has been made. He goes on to say this, beginning in verse 12. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. And greater works than these he will do, because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. And we see here that a promise has been given to us. Now, I've got to be honest and say, I've, I've not been looking forward to teaching this part of the passage because... Because I don't know that I fully understand this. It's too big. I mean, this promise is too amazing. And our tendency, especially within conservative evangelicalism, is kind of to limit this. And and to sort of uh, put some boundaries on God. But the promise here is amazing. It is incredible. It is far beyond what I can even begin to, to fathom. I mean, listen to these words. Truly I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do and greater works than these he'll do. Followers of Jesus Christ will do greater works than Jesus himself. How can that be? And yet that's what it says. Now certainly we see here and throughout the New Testament, throughout the Gospels, we see that the work of the Son is to make known the Father, to accomplish the redemption of those who will believe, and to bring glory to Himself. And so uh, the works that He's talking about here are going to be in accordance with the same kind of works that Jesus did to, 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 to make the Father known, to make redemption through the Son known, and for glory to be brought to the eternal God. But I've got to tell you, as I travel to different places around the world, God is on the move in incredible ways. I just want us to think for a moment about the fact that the God that we've been singing about, the God that this morning we have been declaring, great are you, Lord, that he has made this kind of staggering, scandalous, colossal promise to his people, to people who were uncertain, to people who were afraid, to people who who were confused as to what was next. We've not only got this promise that a place is prepared, a way is provided, but we've got this incredible promise that God will do his work through and in his people. And if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, then that means you. And it means me. So we might well ask the question, how do we understand this promise? There's the issue of greater works. And as I say, the works that Jesus did were, were, were to glorify the Father and point to him and to, and, 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 and to accomplish redemption. But we've also got the second part of this promise, which has to do with prayer. He says, and, and he says, whatever you 
ask, I will do. Whatever you ask, I will do. Now he says, whatever you ask in my name. And so we, we, we have to wrestle through this. What is he saying here? Well, when Jesus makes this staggering promise to his people, because I go to the Father, whatever you ask, I will do. Uh, the in my name speaks of three things. First of all, it speaks of the fact that Jesus is the mediator. The reason that we pray in the name of Jesus is that he is the mediator. He is the one that enables us to come to the Father. And so uh, we have to understand this. Some of us grew up in a tradition that says that we're supposed to pray to saints or we're supposed to pray to Mary. That is unbiblical. You will not find that anywhere in the Bible. And what you will find is, as Paul wrote to Timothy, that there is one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. There is one way. And you'll find Jesus here saying, whatever you ask in my name. So we always pray to the Father through the Son, in the power of the Holy Spirit. So he is our approach. He is the one, just like no one can come to heaven, but through him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That's also true in prayer as well. There is no access to the throne of grace apart from through Jesus Christ. There's a lot of people who, uh, who, who kind of send up prayers almost like uh, sort of writing a letter and just putting it in the mailbox. I know people don't really write letters too much anymore, but imagine you sat down, you wrote this wonderful letter, uh, you put it in an envelope, you put a stamp on it, you sealed it up, you put it in the mailbox. It's not going to get wherever you think it's going to get because you didn't put an address on it. Who you address that to makes all the difference. And there's a lot of people who think, well, yeah, it's all about prayer. This, this may sound a little controversial. Um, we sometimes talk about there being power in prayer. There is no power in prayer. There is power in Jesus. And we pray in his name. And there's a, we live in a world where, where, where people think that they can kind of address their prayers wherever. And that's all great. But Jesus is the one who says, no one comes to the Father, but through me. And folks, we have the privilege, we have the invitation to with boldness and in the authority, it's the second thing there under my name, in the authority of Jesus, we get to come and take a hold of the throne of grace. The book of Hebrews says that we can come boldly before the throne of grace to find grace and mercy to help us in our time of need. Why? Because we come not in our own authority, not in our own merit, not based on anything that we bring. We come in the authority and the power and at the invitation of Jesus Christ. It's amazing. He says, whatever you ask, I will do. But we also have to understand here, and the text points us to this, that when we ask for something in Jesus' name, we are asking in unity of purpose with Christ. That is, you cannot go and ask for something that, that, that would not bring glory to Jesus. Um, I, I don't know if any of you have experienced this, um, but, um, you know, sometimes when you have young children, they'll try to play mom and dad off against one another. You know, they'll come and, they, and they'll say, oh, uh, uh, mommy said that I can have the chocolate cake before dinner. 
And you think to yourself, uh, that's not going to work. Because I know your mother, and there is no way she would ever say that. Busted. There's a sense in which when we pray in the name of Jesus, we always have to remember that this incredible promise, whatever you ask, I will do, is always going to be, in, is always going to be consistent with who he is. Let's be honest. I'm not going to ask anyone to put hands up here, because, but probably um, most of us have at some time or another prayed that we will win the lottery. Yeah, I know you have. Even if you don't buy a ticket, you're like, Lord, would you cause there to be a computer malfunction that causes my name somehow? Yeah, but, yeah, but sometimes we'll pray these kinds of things. We'll think, well, this will solve all of my problems. And then we're disappointed. Well, no, we always need to pray in the name of Jesus. And that means in a accompaniment and unity with his purpose. In fact, right here in this passage, it says in verse 13, whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. So we have this amazing promise, and we must call upon God boldly. We must call upon him specifically. We, we, we should be courageous in coming to him because he's given us this enormous promise, which I promise you is bigger than any of us fully grasp. But what we pray for in the name of the Son is always ultimately that the glory of God would be seen. Christ would be known. What a privilege we have. This amazing promise that the Father may be glorified in the Son. But as the passage goes forward, and we don't have time to go through all of this, really from uh, verse 15 through the end of the chapter. Some of you will be discussing this in more detail in your small groups this week. Oh, we see one more thing. We see that a provision has been made for us. I just want to read to you a few verses here. It says, beginning in verse 15, If you love me, you will keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while and the world will see me no more. But you will see me because I live, you also will live. In that day, you will know that I am in the Father and you in me and I in you. And the passage continues and talks about part of the ministry of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer. So we need to understand in the midst of this confusion, in the midst of this uncertainty that they were facing, there's these incredible promises and a provision has been made for us that even though Christ goes, even though he is betrayed, he, he, he goes to the cross, he bears our sins upon the cross. He dies and is buried and, and raises to life again and victorious and then ascends to the right hand of the Father in heaven that we are not left alone. But that every, every 
Every follower of Jesus Christ has the Holy Spirit dwelling in them from that moment of our conversion. He is working. We are not left as orphans. We may not know what is around the corner. We may not understand all of what is going on, but He has provided for us so that we are never alone. We are never without the resource that we need to face whatever it is we will face. And so to a group of disciples who must have been very tempted to fear, he gives these incredible promises. And to us today, And for the various different seasons of life and struggles and joys and pains and heartaches that we may be going through. These same promises, these same truths are ours. And what we see in John 14 as it continues in John 15 and John 16 and beyond is that if you were in Christ... You've been given this amazing promise, and it is amazing. Uh, Peter speaks about the promises of God, and he calls them great and very precious promises. We've been given abundant provision, the very power of God. God himself, God the Holy Spirit, dwells in us and will be with us. We're given this because there is a mission that we are to engage in. See, when Jesus was giving these promises to his disciples, he wasn't giving it to them with the idea that they would sit back on their couches eating potato chips. He wasn't even giving it to them that they would uh, say, wow, it's amazing, you go to prepare a place and you'll come and take us to be with, so we'll just hang out for a little while while we wait for you to come, Jesus. He gives them this promise so that they will be about his mission. One of the things that we need to understand is that we have a privilege. We are not called to follow Christ, to have our sins forgiven, and then to enjoy being a part of this wonderful family while we watch the world go by but we are invited into a great adventure. We are invited into this mission, this this incredible work that God is doing in reconciling the world to himself. And so this amazing promise, this abundant provision we have because there is a mission to engage in as we await our certain future. What a conversation for Jesus to have with those disciples so many years ago. What amazing truths for us to live in light of today. Think about these promises. We could write them down and close our books and go home And maybe even say, wasn't that a wonderful message? 
But I think that when Jesus spoke to his disciples, he was equipping them with these promises so that their lives would be impacted by them. Let me encourage you. If you are in Christ, we have such great promises, such great privileges. Let us knock on heaven's door, asking him to do great things in our day, great things in our midst for the glory of his great name. Would you pray with me? Lord, our God, we confess to you that these promises are too big for us. It's hard for us to even wrap our mind around them. And yet, Lord, we know that they are true, for you are true. We know that they are faithful, for you are faithful. Lord, I pray for us here this morning. I pray that you would comfort us in the midst of those places of uncertainty, in those places where we are feeling lost or confused or or like we don't know what is next. And help us to keep our eyes fixed on the fact that even though things here may be hard or not going the way that we would desire, that word that you have prepared a place for us, that we keep, would keep our eyes fixed on the fact that we await our heavenly home. But I also ask, Lord, that you would give us a holy boldness a, a, a fervent courage to step out in faith in the way that we pray, in the things that we do, knowing that you are with us and that you delight to bring glory to yourself as we, your people, take you at your word. So, Lord, May your word today not simply be stored in our notebook, but may it travel from our head to our heart, to our hands, to our lives. That with this holy boldness, that we would step out just as the disciples did long ago. In the certain knowledge of your presence, rejoicing in your power, thankful for your provision and about your mission, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.